this last week we all enjoyed Thanksgiving, and after Thanksgiving you might have gotten out for a little shopping. I went out to do some shopping for my bride, went here and there, and got groceries and various Christmas items and whatnot. And while I was driving, I had the radio station on the appropriate station, which of course right now is the Christmas music station, which is 103.3. And on that Christmas music station, in between songs, they kept looping these commercials born out of a worldview completely subjugated to psychology. They were ultimately commercials trying to convince those listeners, listening to songs celebrating Christmas, ultimately the incarnation of God, the enfleshment of God, the amazing grace of God through Jesus Christ coming into the world to die for sinners. They were looping these commercials advertising their psychological wares, trying to convince listeners that one in five of American adults have a mental condition, a mental disorder, a psychological malady that needs professional care. Now, I told you last week that the statistic was one in six, so apparently my statistic is old, or they have recently come up with a new Number, but apparently it's one in five according to these commercials. And the idea is much like the sex education in the public school, where they tell children that a large percentage of them will be homosexuals, lesbians, or transgender. The idea is to convince you that you have this malady, that you have this condition. And you must understand that it does condition you. To think in a psychologized way, it conditions you to self-diagnose, it conditions you to ask your doctor, it conditions you to consider calling, and, and one of them was a hotline, and a, another was, was actually my own insurance company, um, and another was psychotropic drug sales, the pharmaceutical companies always ready to help for a fee in the form of a pill. And it just reconvinced me of our desperate need to throw off an atheistic, naturalistic, materialistic worldview that manifests itself not just in Big Bang cosmology and evolution, but in psychology and in psychotherapy and in psychotropic drug use in our culture. Last week, I uplifted in my opening comments, the idea that we are a society of entitlement, where we have the mindset of entitlement, where we are entitled to certain levels of comfort, certain levels of ease, certain amount of wealth. But beyond those outward entitlements, we have the idea simply that we're entitled to happiness all of the time. We're entitled to our best life now. We're entitled to every day a Friday. And that is the universal disposition of the Western world. An entitlement disposition. Secondly, a victimhood disposition. That we are victims. That we're not foremost sinners before a holy God victimizing others. But we're victims. And even 
our psychologized society has produced psychologized theologians or would-be theologians, even within the professing Christian church, that would make us victims of God. Men like James Dobson asking the question in seriousness, asking the question of his patience, have they come to the place where they're able to forgive God? Psychology turns truth on its head and makes God the sinner and man the victim of God's sin and God in need of forgiveness of man rather than the sinner man need of forgiveness of God. Psychology has given our society the idea of sickness and mental sickness and And basically, one in five, said the commercial, one in five have a mental sickness, a mental malady, a psychological mishap of serious nature in need of professional care, in need of psychotherapy and psychotropic drugs to cope with what previous generations would call life. With this comes the idea of brokenness. Everyone is broken in various ways instead of sin being the basic problem. Brokenness is the basic problem. Sickness is the basic problem. Our victimhood is the basic problem. And the entitlement concept only feeds into all of this. The biblical worldview is one of sinner. Sinner. And these three issues of entitlement, victim, sick, and broken stand in contrast to that biblical worldview of sinners before a holy God accountable for one's sin in need of redemption, in need of the blood of the lamb, in need of salvation, in need of regeneration, that the dead would be made alive through the power of the spirit of God, granted the gifts of repentance and faith in Christ, made a new creature, the old past, behold, all things become new. We have Millions, tens of millions of adults and kids in America on psychotropic drugs right now. Drugs that are nightmarish in the description of their side effects. And yet we take them because the commercials tell us to ask our doctors for them. And our doctors are more than ready to prescribe them. You can go to the doctor for a heart condition and they'll soon be asking you about your depression and wanting to give you a pill. You can go to the doctor for a rash and you'll find yourself soon being asked about your mental outlook and whether or not you're in need of a psychotropic remedy. You can go to the doctor for any normal issue, especially as a woman, any normal issue of life, any normal physical health issue of life that is common to all Women, you can go there and you will soon find them prescribing psychotropic drugs to you as part of the solution of dealing with the normal course of life and changes in the female body as well as more extreme issues. It's now quite common if you're dealing with cancer or you're dealing with the loss of a loved one or you're dealing with dealing with someone who has cancer that they add to it a psychotropic drug to help you deal with all these issues of life. What is going on, saints? What is going on in our culture? Is this 
an appropriate response to scientific discoveries. We have discovered scientifically that one-fifth of you are really messed up. I mean, you are bonkers. One-fifth of you. You're barely holding on. Is that what we've discovered? Did we discover that these drugs fix that portion of society that is certifiably scientifically bonkers? These drugs fix them. No, we have not scientifically verified, one, that they have an actual mental malady tied to their physiological being. Two, we have not verified that these drugs fix said mental malady tied to any physiological issue in their body. Psychologist Roger Mills, in an article titled Psychology Goes Insane, Botches Role as Science, He said this, the field of psychology today is literally a mess. There are as many techniques, methods, and theories around as there are researchers and therapists. I have personally seen therapists convince their clients that all of their problems come from their mothers, the stars, their biochemical makeup, their diet, their lifestyle, and even the, quote, karma from their past lives an accumulation of about 500 separate systems, each claiming superiority, should discourage anyone from thinking that so many diverse opinions could be scientific or factual. 500. Psychotherapy and its underlying psychologies are amassed in confusion with their pseudo-knowledge and pseudo-theories resulting in pseudo-science. One author says, science or opinion, question mark. Is it science or is it opinion? Psychological statements which describe human behavior or which report results of research can be scientific. However, when we move from describing human behavior to explaining it and particularly changing it, we move from science to opinion. In other words, Science can observe. We can say, wow, that person is acting strangely. And that person is acting consistently strangely in this way. In fact, there's a whole group of persons acting strangely in a consistent manner in that same way. That's a scientific observation. Now, where we go into conjecture and opinion is when we say, this is why. And then when we go one step further into conjecture and opinion, this is how you fix it. Which is why there's a vast discrepancy of diagnoses and the prescriptions to fix it. The Stockholm Syndrome provides an excellent example of this phenomenon. The Stockholm Syndrome sometimes occurs when persons are taken hostage in bank robberies. Under these circumstances, some captives identify with and desire to protect their captors. Captives sometimes fear the police more than they fear the robbers and have been known to become voluntary shields for their captors to protect them from being shot by the police. SWAT teams are aware that certain captives cannot be counted on for help and that some hostages will oppose the police who are trying to save them. Such a description of human behavior under adverse circumstances may be factual. Captives sometimes do behave in ways just described. However, the explanations of this behavior are opinions and vary from one expert to another. An FBI report explains the behavior in this way. I want you to think about this. This is just one example from the Stockholm Syndrome. 
We see the behavior. We can catalog the behavior. That's rather scientific. But explaining it, that's a whole other deal. So this particular FBI psychologist explains it in this way. The Stockholm Syndrome is viewed by this author as regression to a more elementary level of development than is seen in the five-year-old who identifies with a parent. The five-year-old is able to feed himself, speak for himself, and has locomotion. The hostage is more like the infant who must cry for food, cannot speak, and may be bound. The infant is blessed with a mother figure who sees to his needs. As these needs are satisfactorily met by the mother figure, the child begins to love this person who is protecting him from the outside world. So it is with the hostage. His extreme dependence, his every breath, a gift from the subject... He is now as dependent as he was as an infant. The controlling, all-powerful adult is again present. The outside world is threatening once again, so the behavior that worked for the dependent infant surfaces again as a coping device, a defense mechanism to lead the way to survival. Oh, it sounds plausible, sure. But is it scientific? Is there anything factual there? No, nothing at all. One theory is as good as another. The writer of the FBI report presents only one of many possible explanations for the phenomenon. The description of this syndrome, to the extent that it is accurate, is factual, but the explanation is merely opinion. When we move from what happens in human behavior to why it happened, and especially to how to change human behavior, we move from science to conjecture. The move from description to prescription is a move from objectivity to opinion. And such opinion about human behavior presented as truth or scientific fact is merely pseudoscience. It rests upon false premises, opinions, guesses, subjective explanations, and leads to false conclusions. One more point on psychology before we get to the Word of God. Psychiatrist Lee Coleman, in his book, The Reign of Error, this is a psychiatrist, Lee Coleman, who wrote The Reign of Error, he says this, Psychiatry does not deserve the legal power it has been given. Psychiatry is not a science. I have testified in over 130 criminal and civil trials around the country, countering the authority of psychiatrists or psychologists hired by one side or the other. In each case, I try to educate the judge or jury about why the opinions produced by these professionals have no scientific merit. Now that's my kind of psychologist. That's the biblical kind of psychologist, whether he realizes it or not. In place of psychology, we have Jesus Christ, an all-sufficient Prince of Peace. In place of psychology, we have the Holy Spirit of God living and dwelling within us. In place of psychology, we have a Father who knows the thoughts and the intents of our hearts and who speaks to them. In place of psychology and psychologists, we have the Word of God, which is able to renew our minds from which flow our emotions. In place of psychology, we have truth, the God of truth, and the truth He has revealed unto us. One thought I shared with you last week I wanted to impart once again. 
How did the world ever get by before psychology? How did Christians for generations suffer life's normal hardships and in certain seasons suffer extraordinary hardships without the help of psychologists? How did mothers mother their children and put up with their husbands without psychologists? How did husbands go to war and come back again and love their wives and their children without psychologists? Here's how. Far better. Far better. Psychology weakens the mind. It weakens humanity. It plays into our sin nature. It opens us up for all sorts of deception. And the greatest deception is the deception of self-love and introspection. Incessant introspection born out of self-love. If you look into yourself long enough, some call it navel-gazing, you'll only find madness therein. There is only madness, for sin is madness, and you without God are a sinner. If you look to God, you find truth, you find reason, you find logic, you find sanity, you find righteousness. Joy and Thanksgiving, part two. Little introduction there. Let's read again Philippians 4, 1 through 9. Philippians 4, 1 through 9. Where do you find joy? You find it in God. You find it in a humble disposition of thanksgiving. Joy and thanksgiving. Philippians 4, 1 through 9. Therefore, my beloved and long for brethren, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, beloved. I implore Yodia, I implore Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. And I urge you also, true companion, help these women who labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever... Whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue, if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. The things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do. And the God of peace will be with you. Joy and thanksgiving for imperfect saints was our opening point last week. From verses 1 through 3. Therefore, my beloved and longed for brethren, my joy and crown. The Apostle Paul wrote to various churches, various commendations, various encouragements. Here is such an encouragement and commendation to the church of Philippi. Therefore, my beloved and longed for brethren, my joy and my crown. And yet the church in Philippi was not perfect as a whole, nor were there any perfect individuals therein. And yet the Apostle could write... Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, therefore, my beloved and longed for brethren, my joy and my crown. That is the biblical disposition. That is the disposition of a heart 
indwelt with and ruled by the Spirit of God. Joy in and thanksgiving for imperfect saints. Beloved, long for brethren, my joy and crown. So stand fast in the Lord, beloved. They're doubly beloved. Verse 2, I implore these dear ladies, these dear sisters in Christ, Yodia, and I implore Sintiki, these two ladies you're going to meet, and they'll tell you how to pronounce their names. You're going to meet them. And the Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, wrote in the eternal word of God, hey, these women, they need to get along. <laughs> they need to be of the same mind in the Lord. And I urge you also, true companion, help these women who labored with me in the gospel. They're laboring together in the gospel. We're all united in the labor for the gospel. And with Clement also and the rest of my fellow workers, we're laboring, we're fellow workers in the gospel whose names are written in the book of life, written by God. Written by God is the family of God in the book of life. Those who bought, who were bought with the blood of the Lamb and will forever be the children of God under the fullness of the love of God together in a new heavens and new earth. Joy in and thanksgiving for imperfect saints. Secondly, we began to see last time joy in and thanksgiving for a perfect God. Verse 4, and this is a powerful verse. This is a life-changing verse. This is a mind-renewing verse. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I will say, rejoice. Joy in and thanksgiving for a perfect God. Your circumstances, from your point of view and my point of view, are very often imperfect. Your best day contains imperfections. There are better days and worse days, of course, in our assessment. But God is always, at all times, for all eternity, perfect. Of course, from God's perspective, He's controlling time, space, and matter and our place in it perfectly. And so there's nothing outside of His perfect will. Ephesians 1.11, He works all things according to the counsel of His will. And it's not just any old will. It's the perfect will. It's the holy will. It's the all-wise will of God Almighty. And so we can have joy in and thanksgiving in our perfect God at all times. And when we get our eyes off of ourselves, we elevate our eyes even off of our circumstances and the people around us, we get our eyes on the Lord and begin to consider His perfections, which is our Sunday school study right now, the attributes of God. We find this to be incredibly edifying, enriching to our souls. We find this to not just be enriching to our souls and wow, now I feel spiritual and now I know stuff about God that you don't know and I'm going to win on the Bible quiz or the Bible trivia game. I'm going to just pound you into the sand. That's not the point. The point is to know God that you might love Him and serve Him better. But in knowing God and loving God, your mind is renewed and you begin to think rightly and feel rightly about God about circumstances, about people, and about yourself. Your thoughts need to begin with God. That's the foremost issue on what you think. And the greatest issue of renewing the mind is what do you think about God? 
And I can tell you what you think about God. You think far too little about God. Because that's what I think about God. Far too little. Second to that, I can tell you, you think things that aren't true. And even things that you once knew to be true, you forget and you start thinking untrue things. And so you continually are bound to the Scriptures. You are continually compelled to go to the Scriptures that you might think rightly about God. That you might get your mind off of this world. Why do we think about the stuff of this world? Why do we like to have the radio on in the car generally? Or music on at home? If it's not hymns and choruses, it's because we, we like to be entertained by the things of this world in one form or another. And again, I'm not going to condemn all secular music, but I want to challenge you. If that's what's buoying your spirit, right? You don't hear that word a lot, but giving buoyance keeping your spirit afloat, keeping your joy afloat, song to song in the secular realm, then you're not training your heart to rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Well, I just don't like that music. Well, then learn to like it. All music is an acquired taste. We learn to like music. Buffet the flesh and learn to like it or find better music. There are some hymns played in you know, ways that I don't enjoy and some courses played in ways that I don't enjoy and just some hymns and some courses I don't enjoy. But find those hymns and those choruses, those songs that are full of truth, God's truth from God's word and reflect his glory and listen to those or turn off the music and listen to the word of God itself, pure and undiluted. We have an amazing opportunity in today's world, amazing access to God's Word. Listen to the Word of God. Let it renew your mind that you might know God. When you go to the Scriptures, don't go there foremost to put in your time. So yeah, I did that because that's what Christians do. Christians go to the Scriptures and they read for 15 minutes. They read a psalm and a proverb and some other stuff, right? Now go to the Scriptures to learn of God, to love God, to know God, that you might rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. You can't rejoice in the God you don't know. And so you must seek Him in His revelation of Himself. You can't have joy in Him when you don't know Him. If you have a healthy marriage, or when your marriage was healthy, you know, before that argument on getting ready for church today, When your marriage was healthy, you had joy in your spouse, right? Because you know them. You know them. You have a relationship with them. They love you. You know their love for you. And that's a source of joy for you. When you know God and God's love for you, you have a constant joy from that knowledge of God and His evident love for you. And it's foremost on your mind. And you feel the relationship with you which you have with your father. You, you feel the reality of the relationship that you have with your Savior, Jesus Christ, and how he set his love upon you. You feel the reality of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit because you know it to be true. And thus you're not satisfied when you don't see the fruit of the Spirit in your life. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, 
self-control. You think, oh no, I'm in the flesh. I'm not in the spirit. I have the spirit, but I'm suppressing the spirit and I'm walking in the flesh. Oh Lord, please grant that my flesh would be abased, crucified, and that I might walk in your spirit. That's what happens when you seek the Lord in his word. And when your thoughts are focused on the Lord and not on yourself. Your thoughts are focused on the Lord and not the news. Your thoughts are focused on the Lord and not your social media feed. Your, your thoughts are focused on the Lord and not secular music. Your thoughts are focused on the Lord and not your, your favorite television show or, or movie. Your thoughts are focused on the Lord and joy. Joy is the result because the Lord is perfect. He is perfect at all times and at all seasons. And His love for you is perfect. His will for you, perfect. His plan for you, perfect. And so this verse, Philippians 4, 4, Rejoice in the Lord always, again I will say rejoice, is a powerful command. Command, it's not an option, it's a command. It's not a counsel, it's a command. Rejoice in the Lord always, again I will say rejoice. It is somewhat blasphemous to not take joy in our Lord. It is certainly blasphemous to take joy in fallen things in the world and not our Lord. To consistently find our joy in a world that's passing away and even sinful things in this world that is passing away instead of joy in our God, holy, 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 who is the creator of this world and the sustainer of this world, and will soon undo the gluons of this world. Joy and thanksgiving for a perfect God. Consider Romans 11, verse 33, rejoicing in the Lord and His ways that are beyond our comprehension. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments and His ways past finding out. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has become his counselor? Who has first given to him, or it shall be repaid to him? For of him and through him and to him are all things, to whom be glory forever. Amen. When we gaze upon our Lord and his perfections, we come to see the depth and the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. It humbles us. And we get out of the, the seat of Romans 9, the potter's seat. We often want to get into the potter's seat and think we're the potter. And in, in Romans 9, I mean, he says, get out of my seat. Who are you, O man? Will not the potter make some vessels for righteous use? Some for noble, some for ignoble. But here in chapter 11, we see the depth and the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable how unsearchable are his judgments they're beyond our comprehension as as hard as we might try to search them out we cannot comprehend his judgments and his ways they're past finding out there are certain judgments certain decrees certain things that the lord brings to pass directly or through secondary causes you're not going to be able to discern how that works into the plan, how that is good even. And yet you know that it is good and you know that God is far more than good. He is holy. 
and you know that He is sovereign. And so you, you understand that His judgments are unsearchable. You understand that His ways are past finding out. You're not going to find out, certainly this side of heaven. You're not going to find out. And so you humble yourself beneath the God of all wisdom and all knowledge. For you know that His mind is far above yours. Verse 34, Who has known the mind of the Lord to you? I do not, except that that which He reveals, except for the mind of the Lord that He has revealed in Holy Scripture, that I know, and that I can trust Him with certainty. Who has been His counselor? See, we would make ourselves God psychologists. Dear friends, God is the only true psychologist. God is the only one who knows the depths of your soul and the souls of all men. He knows what motivates you. He's not a mere scientist observing the behavior of man. God knows the heart of man and the mind of man. He knows your thoughts. He knows the intents of your heart. He knows your motives. Verse 36, For of Him and through Him and to Him are all things to whom be glory forever. Amen. Rejoicing in the Lord and His ways that are beyond our comprehension. Rejoicing in the Lord with the psalmist. Consider the psalmist, Psalm 5, verse 11. But let all those rejoice who put their trust in you. Let them ever shout for joy because you defend them. Let those also who love your name be joyful in you. We are commanded to be joyful in the Lord. If we're not joyful in the Lord, something is wrong. And we need to seek the Lord and cry out for that joy. The psalmist elsewhere cries out, Why so downcast, O my soul? If our soul is downcast, we should be asking, What's wrong with you, soul? Or more directly, Lord, what's wrong with my soul? The answer is not found within. It's found in God. Why so downcast, O my soul? When we have the God of all glory, the God who is the author of joy and would have us to experience the fullness of joy in Him. Psalm 31, verse 23, O love the Lord, all you saints, for the Lord preserves the faithful and fully repays the proud person. Be of courage, and He shall strengthen your heart, all you who hope in the Lord. And so love Him, you saints, for He preserves the faithful. Be of courage, you saints, He shall strengthen your heart. Where does courage come from? Some courage comes from foolishness, thinking that you you cannot die, you cannot fail, you cannot lose. That's just foolishness. But biblical courage, Christian courage, comes from confidence in an omnipotent, loving God. And that gives us courage. Biblical courage comes from the, the reality that not a sparrow falls to the ground except the Lord allows it. Biblical courage comes from the reality that God is working all things according to the counsel of His will, and that His will is that He would love us in all the circumstances we are experiencing. Biblical courage comes from that beautiful verse in Romans 8, 28, that all things work for the good of those who love God, who are the called according to His purpose. That's where biblical courage comes from. And we can take courage. You need courage, saints. You need biblical courage to face the day. You can get by for a while with faux courage, fake courage, worldly courage for a while until you come up against something that's insurpassable, like death. 
like disease, like maiming. You come up against these things, and you need the courage that comes from a solid foundation, the rock who is Jesus Christ, the rock of truth. Psalm 34, verse 1, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. His praise continually in my mouth. Again, I'm, I'm not a Pharisee. I'm not a legalist. I'm not going to condemn all secular music, but I am going to condemn the idea that all you listen to and sing is secular music unless you're in church. Fill your heart with praises by filling your mouth with praises. And there's much of secular music that is condemnable and ought not be in your mouth or your head, right? Even if your mouth isn't singing it, fill your head with the praises of the Lord, the perfections of the Lord in the form of song. What a wonderful thing. I remember when our children were young, some of you have young children, find those sweet and wonderful children's songs, just basic, powerful truths, but begin to hide those truths in their hearts through music day by day. You know, the Barney song, I Love You, You Love Me, We're All Big Happy Family, sung by a purple dinosaur. Is that what you want stuck in your kids' heads? No, not so much. Find good songs, good hymns, and get them in your heart and in your head and in your homes and in your cars. Listen to the Word of God made into music, put to tune. Psalm 40, I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined and heard my cry. He also brought me up out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock and established my steps. He has put a new song in my mouth. Praise to our God. Many will see it in fear and will trust in the Lord. Blessed is that man who makes the Lord his trust and does not respect the proud nor such as turn aside to lies. Blessed is that man who makes the Lord his trust and does not respect the proud nor turn aside to lies. What are you trusting in? What are you trusting in? I totally get that the atheist, naturalist, materialist, Big Bang cosmologist, evolutionist trusts in the psychotherapist. I totally get that. I don't get it all that Christians do. I don't get that at all. I mean, when your worldview starts with a myth, I get that it ends with a myth. I get that your priest is a priest of myth when your worldview starts with a myth. But when your worldview starts with the God who created the heavens and the earth, the God who sent Jesus, the Prince of Peace, and yet you go to the psychologist for peace, There's a disconnect. There's an apostasy there, a departure from the truth and a departure from God. Not a damning apostasy unless you keep going down that path, but it's an apostasy. It's a departure from the truth. It's a departure from God and the resources that God has given. And it's a sad apostasy because this priest is leading you astray. And you'll find no peace there. You'll find no joy there. You'll only find enslavement. Blessed is that man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not respect the proud, nor, tr- nor such as turn aside to lies. Psalm 40, verse 4. 
Many, O Lord, my God, are your wonderful works which you have done, and your thoughts toward us cannot be recounted to you in order. If I would declare and speak of them, they are more than can be numbered. That's God's thoughts toward us. More than can be numbered. More than we can comprehend. Consider the apostles and their experience as they followed Christ. This is long before psychology came into the world. Long before Freud. Long before Skinner. Long before psychoanalysis. Consider what they suffered and endured. Consider Paul's testimony of his beatings and his shipwrecks and being reviled by his countrymen and and consider that today's missionaries come back from the mission field and are often sent to psychologists for missionary care. In Acts 16, we find the apostles busy in the service of the Lord and fully experiencing the grace and power of the Lord in the midst of that experience. Acts 16, verse 20, They brought them to the magistrates and said, These men, being Jews, exceedingly trouble our city, and they teach customs which are not lawful for us, being Romans, to receive or observe. Then the multitude rose up together against them, and the magistrates tore off their clothes and commanded them to be beaten with rods. And when they had laid many stripes on them, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to keep them securely. Having received such a charge, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. But at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. They did not succumb to post-traumatic stress disorder. They did not succumb to various forms of woe is meism. They were committed to the truth and to the God of truth and to the God who is sovereign over their circumstances. Thus they prayed and they sang hymns. And the prisoners were listening to them. What were they listening to? They were listening to an expression of faith in the midst of severe adversity. Dear saints, it is possible by the grace of God, through the power of the Spirit of God, with a renewed mind by the Word of God, to walk by faith in the midst of severe adversity. And it glorifies God. And it calls sinners to consider the reality of your God and your God's gospel. At midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains were loosened. I've heard in this psychologized world of great numbers of people who, after a great earthquake, have to seek psychological counseling, because that's a traumatic event, and it damages their, their weak psyche. They're saints. We don't have time for psychological counseling after the great earthquake. We've got a gospel to preach. That alone sets you free from so much of this self-psychoanalysis, from so much of this self-pity, this trap of psychology. How do you feel? How do you feel? Why are you sitting around thinking about how you feel? You've got a God to worship, a God to praise, a God to learn of, a God to know and to make known. You've got sinners perishing and their sins around you. You've got sinners perishing their sins born from your womb until they're led to Christ. So they've been stripped 
They've been beaten with rods. They've been thrown into the prison. They've been put in the inner prison. Their feet are in stocks. And they're praying and singing hymns. And the prisoners are listening. And then the Lord blesses them with an earthquake, which in today's Christian world is just greater cause to turn to the psychologist. Verse 27, the keeper of the prison, awaking from sleep and seeing the prison doors open, supposing the prisoners had fled, drew his sword and was about to kill himself. But Paul called with a loud voice saying, do yourself no harm for we are here. Paul's foremost thought is not his own safety, is not his own freedom, is not his own comfort. It's the glory of God and the redemption of sinners. In the midst of all his hardships, in the midst of his back bleeding, right? He has just been beaten with rods. His back is bleeding. He stays there in the prison after the earthquake in order to protect the life of the jailer. And he is concerned about the jailer's life and soul, not his own condition and suffering. Paul called with a loud voice saying, Do yourself no harm, for we are all here. Then he called for a light, ran in and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas and brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved and all your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes. And immediately he and his family were baptized. Now when they had brought them into the house, he set foot before them and he rejoiced, having believed in God with all his household. Saints, the biblical worldview is so radically different from the atheistic, naturalistic, materialistic, Big Bang cosmology, evolutionary, psychologized worldview. And while many of us have rejected the first half of that list, we have to some level embraced that last bit of the world's worldview, psychology. In fact, all of us to some level have been infected by it. You must continually renew your mind because even when you're listening to Christmas music, busy about Thanksgiving celebration, they're filtering in their psychological wares and pressures and encouragements. Our Lord is sufficient. Being busy about our Lord's work is part of of God's plan, that we would be strong, that we would be able to continue to endure hardships in a fallen world. Joy in and thanksgiving for a perfect God. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Next, joy and thanksgiving in discipline determine graciousness. Verse 5. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Joy and thanksgiving and discipline determine graciousness. Philippians 4 verse 5. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. So much of our mental duress is due to our sin. The wage of sin is death. And you begin to feel that death in your psyche, in your mind, in your heart. You have no peace because you're not meant to have peace when you're living in sin. So much of what psychology does is try to cover up the conscience that God has given us. We lack peace because of our sin. 
The answer is to repent and confess Christ as Lord and to follow Him as Lord and to walk in the light of the Word and the power of the Spirit. That is the answer to 99% of our psychological sufferings because they are directly due to sin. Joy and thanksgiving and discipline determine graciousness. Let your gentleness be known to all men. Stop sinning against your neighbor. Love your neighbor. Be kind to your neighbor. Bless your neighbor. But when you sin against your neighbor, beginning with your husband, your wife, your father, your mother, your brother, your sister, your family, because those are the easiest ones to sin against, right? And they got to put up with you because they're family. But when you sin against your neighbors, there will be guilt. And you will suffer in your heart and your mind. So what's the solution? To repent. That's the solution. To cry out to God that He would grant you repentance. To cry out to God that you would see the sin as sin. And that you would see the consequence of sin, the duress in relationship and duress in heart and mind as a judgment of sin. And that you would get right. Get on the right side not continue down that path of destruction. Joy and thanksgiving and discipline determined. Discipline determined. Graciousness. You must discipline yourself. You must determine that you're going to be gentle to your neighbor, that you're going to love your neighbor, that you're going to be a a person who walks in the power of the Spirit, who walks in the light of the Word, the power of the Spirit being love, the first fruit, love. And then the Word defining that, love is long-suffering. It's kind. It does not envy, does not boast, is not proud, is not rude, does not use anger, keeps no record of wrongs, does not delight in evil, but rejoices in truth, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. That's 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8, give or take. But walking in the power of the Spirit In love is the key to letting your gentleness be known to all men. And it's a key, a major key to having peace in your heart and your mind. Having joy, joy and thanksgiving and discipline determined graciousness. I want to get to the next point. Joy and thanksgiving and discipline determined faith. Oh, saints, this is powerful. Verse 6 and 7, joy and thanksgiving and discipline determine faith. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. In our psychologized world, we have given reign to anxiety. We are slaves to anxieties of all sorts and kinds. And we have actively given rein to them. We can't control them. They're out of control. Our anxieties have taken over. We've given them permission to take over. Because the psychologists have told us we're what? Victims. We're not responsible for what we think and what we feel. We're victims. We're sick. We're broken. And so these anxieties, they just come upon us and they, they take us over. Again, many of our anxieties are directly related to our sin. And as we repent of the sin that is at the root of that anxiety, that anxiety will disappear. It will disappear. On another level, you can say that anxiety is sin at all times. Because anxiety, fear, is a lack of faith. You're not trusting God. Whatever issue it is in, 
that fear, and I say this with compassion because there are things that are fearful, mind you, but when you let it go beyond a surface level fear and an emotional response that God has designed you to have to become a deep-seated fear, an anxiety. Now this thing's gripping you, it's owning you. It's overcome faith. When fear overcomes faith, it becomes anxiety, it becomes sin. And you've got to know that and rebuke that in self. You're not to give yourself over to fear. You're not to give yourself over to phobias. You're not to give yourself over to anxiety and just say, well, in my circumstance, that, that's reasonable. Or in life, that's, that's just where I'm at and that's where everyone's at and that's, we're all just slaves to anxiety. Well, you are if you choose to be, like you are when you choose to be a slave to any sin. And if you go far enough down this road, you know, they have, they have terms for this. They have psychological terms and you can end up in a padded room. They might call you schizophrenic. They could certainly call you bipolar because your anxieties will overtake you and you'll go low. And then, you know, something will come along and you'll have a high, but your anxieties, which you have given rein to, will overtake you again and you'll go low. And so you're bipolar. Well, you just, you've trained yourself to be given over to anxiety, to give rein to anxiety. Be anxious for nothing, nothing. How, how could that be possible? How could it be possible to be anxious for nothing? To trust God in everything enables you to be anxious in nothing. And to trust God actively, not just generally to say, yes, I trust God in everything, but to actively, purposefully, daily trust God in everything. How could you do that, pastor? That's a mystery. Well, let's read the rest of the verse. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication. So if you're not going to be anxious for anything, right? Because you're anxious in nothing. So you've taken everything out of the, this is okay to be anxious about category, right? Nothing. So you've got to take everything out of that category, this is okay to be anxious about, and put it over into the everything category, going before the Lord in prayer. Everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. So you empty the anxiety pot and you fill the prayer pot. You empty the anti-faith of fear and anxiety pot and you fill the faith pot of prayer. You're praying. You're exercising faith. You're wringing your hands, anxious, fearful. You're exercising faithlessness. Over here, God is not in control. Over here, I'm, the, I'm subject to circumstances out of control. I'm subject to a chaotic universe. And I'm giving rain to anxiety. And I, I get into a pattern of living where I've given rain to anxiety so much so that now the doctors give me a diagnosis and a pill take care of my schizophrenia. I, I've been giving myself over to anxiety so long, I'm no longer in touch with reality. My anxieties aren't, aren't real anymore. It's called schizophrenia. Or maybe I'm back a step. I'm still in the bipolar range where my anxieties, they just take over, but then I have a good day and I swing back up. And then my anxieties, they take over and have a good day and I, I swing back up. Saints, they'll often tell you that's a chemical imbalance without checking any chemicals. There's no such thing as a chemical imbalance. 
because they don't know what chemicals are supposed to be present in you. There's, there's no uh, blood pressure standard. You know, this is a good blood pressure, that's bad. This is a good chemical balance, that's a bad chemical balance. Generally speaking, that, that's fiction. And when they tell people they have a chemical imbalance, it's based upon behavior, not upon chemicals they pulled out of your brain with a big needle, which you're probably glad, right? <laughs> or they pull out of your blood. And even when they do pull something out of your blood and, and look at some chemical analysis of your blood, they really don't know what they're talking about. And if you think they do, then you've not looked at the science. It's not real science. One doctor will tell you you have a chemical imbalance. See here, this chemical is here. And that means this. Another doctor will say, oh, then, no, that's fine. No, it's this chemical. You see this? That means that. And you need this. No, no, you, you need this because it's that. And then you bring in 20 more doctors and you've got 20 more opinions. It's a pseudoscience. They're shooting in the dark. Be anxious for nothing. That's truth. We're not shooting in the dark. That's God's true word in the light of day. Be anxious for nothing. You've got to take everything out of the, oh, this is okay to be anxious about it category. And put it over in the everything category. Everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. That's where everything goes. Everything. It's a matter of disciplining yourself. It's a matter of not giving permission to anxiety. Instead, demanding faith. I will trust God. I'm not going to live in a disposition of distrust. I will trust God. I will actively pray. I will actively subject my heart and mind and emotions to God by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Lord, you're in control of these circumstances. Lord, your word is true and your word tells me that you work all things according to the counsel of your will. Lord, your word is true and your word tells me that you, Lord, work everything for my good. Lord, your word is true. And even if I can't see how it's good, I know that your ways are higher than my ways and beyond my understanding. Lord, your word is true. Even if I can't see how this is good for me now, I can see eternity that's coming. I can see a new heavens and new earth. I can see the fullness of your love. I see your promise, Lord, yet to come. Will you wipe away every tear? I can see that goodness, Lord. And I hold fast to that. I, I refuse to give myself over to anxiety. Because, Lord, I believe you, not my anxious, sinful heart, my unfaithful heart, my fickle heart. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Lord, thank you for these circumstances that humble me. Thank you for these circumstances that could, if I allowed them to, cause me to sin and fear. But, Lord, will, as I allow you to sanctify me, compel me to faith and prayer and to seek you. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And here's this promise, this precious promise, this powerful promise. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. The peace of God, which surpasses understanding. It surpasses this world. It surpasses um, normal human response. It surpasses normal human explanation. It surpasses understanding, this peace of God. And it will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. It will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus as you exercise faith in Christ Jesus, as you pray through Christ Jesus, the one mediator between God and men.
as you trust Christ Jesus, your Lord. You will have the peace of God that surpasses understanding. This is the promise of God. It's there for you. It's real. Seek the Lord. Experience the peace that surpasses understanding. Stop believing the lies of psychology that you are a slave to anxiety. You're a slave of Christ, dear Christian. You've been bought by the blood of the Lamb. He has purchased you. Heart, mind, soul, emotions, feelings, all of it. It's all to be brought beneath Christ. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Do you have a problem with peace? Do you have a problem with anxiety? The lack of one in the presence of the other? Then memorize this truth and let it renew your mind. Pray through this truth and let it renew your mind. This is the truth. Anything contrary to it is a lie. Joy and thanksgiving and disciplined, determined faith. Disciplined, determined faith. I could spend weeks there. Probably need to. So good for us, saints. So good for us. And I'm, I'm pushing back a little against psychology in this series because it's been pushed back upon me, my mind and consciousness, how prevalent psychology is and how it is winning in Christ's church. Winning and making Christ's church losers. Because you will lose as you reject God's truth and embrace the world's lies. You will suffer. And those lies are prevailing in the church everywhere. It's constant. All I, I go and I listen to other preachers in the area now and again. I don't go sit there, but I, I get online. I pull up some of their sermons. And as a rule, psychobabble is from the start of the sermon to the end of it. Psychologized terms from the beginning of the message to the end. Biblical terms, nil. Psychologized terms, abundant. Beware of such. It's not going to bring blessings. It's not going to bring peace. It's going to enslave you. Christ has come to set us free. And those who are in Christ have been made free indeed. Don't go back to Egypt. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your precious promises. We thank you for the power of your Holy Spirit. We thank you that Christ is sufficient and his peace that surpasses all understanding will guard our hearts and minds as we believe you and trust you and actively determine to be anxious for nothing, but in everything with prayer and supplication and thanksgiving, seek you. Lord, I pray for these dear and precious brothers and sisters, Lord, that you renew their minds in this renew my own mind, that we, Father, would be set free. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.